This is a recording made in the chapter of the Open Book at the Wednesday dinner hour of services and is number two of a series entitled The Finished Work. This arises out of a study we had just previously. We were looking at the tenth chapter of John and the first few verses our Saviour speaks about a sheepfold and the door of the sheepfold and the shepherd and the disciples were puzzled. And you might have said at first, well, why should they be so puzzled about something they knew so well? Well, that was the reason. They said, why is he telling us this? We know all about it. Until he slipped two words in. And then the whole thing shone with beauty. He said, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Oh, I see. Well, I believe that is true of the whole word of God. We may come to a scripture. We acknowledge that it's a word of truth. And we leave it. But always we can, by the grace of God, see it's possible to slip the two words, I am. It may shine with a light that we've never seen before. Of course, on the other hand, this is opening a door for all sorts of fantastic ideas which we must watch very severely. My intention is, it seems almost, almost too much to attempt in the brief time we have, by step by step to draw your attention to scriptures which at first do not appear definitely to speak, say, of Christ and his place in the scheme of things. But when we've got the whole Bible in front of us and look back, we can see much more in many a scripture than was first of all appreciated, perhaps even by the writer himself. For you remember, Peter says that after the Old Testament prophets wrote what they had to say, they then searched their own writings to see what the Spirit of Christ that was in them did signify when it spoke of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow. None of us, I think, would think or agree that Moses, when he wrote Genesis 1 verse 1 and gave it to the children of Israel, expected that they should appreciate what we may be able to see when we've got the whole Bible in front of us from beginning to end. It's sublime in its simplicity. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And they needed that for they were coming out of a land of idolatry. Now, is that all that it says? Well, my hope is to just drop a few hints in these meetings, trusting that you will not let them stay there, but take them as finger posts and search and see that there's much more in these than meet the eye at first. May I remind you of a simple fact in ordinary everyday life, that an event, before it can become an event, must be at some time, in some place, now that's not enough, because time and place are waiting for an agent to start something moving. Time, place and agent. In the beginning is the time. Heaven and earth is the place. And God, who created, is the agent. Well, we may say, well, all right, that we, we leave that. But I'm going to stop there. Because this word of God repays patient search. And the first thing I want to do is to remind you that the particular word translated beginning, Reshef, R-E-S-H-E-T-H, I'll give you that in case you're searching, occurs three times in the book. Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created. Genesis 10, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And Genesis 49, Jacob, speaking about his children, speaks of Reuben, his firstborn, the beginning of my strength. There's the three. So there's the first one in chapter 1. There's the false one, Babel, in chapter 10. There's the poor, fading, frail one 
in chapter 49. I'd like you to turn to Genesis 49 just to see what Jacob says about this word first in connection with himself. Genesis 49. Verse 3, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power, but he was unstable as water and would not excel. He was a firstborn, he was the beginning, but he was a failure. And so we find in 1 Chronicles chapter 5 that although it recognises that Reuben was the firstborn, it says so, the birthright went to Joseph. It had to be spread. No one person could hold this burden. Christ himself, yes, but no one else. But here's the point. There's a definite insistence of this word beginning in connection with the word firstborn. Uh, you may not see, of course, at first sight, when it says the excellency of dignity, do you know that that's what the Lord said to Cain, who was the firstborn, who quarreled with his brother, and God said to Cain, if thou doest not well, shalt thou not have the dignity? Our version says, shalt thou not have the excellency? Shalt thou not have the dignity of the firstborn, but you've lost it, Cain? So now we're beginning to be quickened, perhaps, I hope, that this word, in the beginning, doesn't merely mean only time, but is related to this word beginning. Would you say, you can't call a person a beginning, can you? It depends on just what the word is, of course. But if you turn straight away to the last book in the Bible, and of course, that assumes, I suppose, it's rather too much to ask, but that assumes that every one of us have read right solidly through from Genesis to Revelation, so we've got all there is to know. Here we get these words. Revelation chapter 3, 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So here's his title. He is the beginning. And he says, I'm the ending. So we're not drawing a long bow when we say that word was used with purpose. He is the beginning. Not merely at some time, but he himself is the beginning. And before we go further with that, I'll look at Colossians chapter 1, where you'll find it repeated. Speaking of Christ in verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, here comes the word, the firstborn of every creature. For by him, and the word by is the preposition in, and it is so translated in the next few lines. For in him were all things created, that are in heaven and are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, you see, there's nothing here about trees and animals and birds and fish. All these are the mighty powers of heavenly glory now associated with his creative power. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. So he's the beginning in the early first creation, and he's the beginning in the new creation. He is the beginning, and without him... No end of God would ever be reached. For is another word, a relative term. Nothing is a beginning which hasn't an end in view. Can't be. 
It's like I've said before, a great heap of concrete may be a foundation for a building, or it may be an awful nuisance. But if it's a great heap of concrete and the builders never put a building on it, it's not a foundation. It's only a foundation if it's built on. And I think it's only a beginning if there's an end in view that you reach ultimately. So God's purpose wanted, right in the very first verse of the Bible, to have someone as the beginning in which all this could be invested and ultimately brought to its end. So you do know, at the other end of the story, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Then cometh the end, when God shall be all in all. Well now I want to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, because there's another word there, in 1 Corinthians 15, which this very word beginning translates in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. And again in verse 23, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ that is coming, then cometh the end. Now the word firstfruits is the word that is translated, translates this very self-same word in the Old Testament when you read that on a certain day of the week in the book of Leviticus, on the first day following the Sabbath, after Passover, the high priest offered in the temple the first fruits. And the very self-same moment, Christ was raised from the dead on the first day after the Sabbath of the Passover. The first fruits in the temple, the first fruits in reality. And that's the word beginning. It's the same word. So you see, there's more in this than first meets the eye. I don't say you should translate Genesis as a first fruits, God created heaven and earth, but that's what it implies. The very creation in Christ was a pledge that a new creation was yet to come, where there should be no more tears and no more sorrow, but in the interval the battle of light and darkness, good and evil, had to be waged, fought and won. Well now I think I'll have to leave that aspect, oh there's ever so much more, and just turn you to one or two passages which sort of bring this a little bit together. I won't turn to the passage in Job uh, because of time, but you remember in the 38th chapter of Job, God said to him, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? And Job, if he got any sense, of course he would say, no Lord, I wasn't there. But if you'll remember that then, and turn to Hebrews chapter 1, and listen to these words, verse 10, and thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Who is he speaking about? The Son of God. Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth. You know who then? is spoken of in Genesis 1, verse 1. You must say, here it is. Or will you turn again to John, the first chapter, where the figure is not the image of the invisible God, but is the Word. And it's a strange thing at first to think a person is called the Word until we reflect that there will be no movement, no business, no earning money, no spending money, no travelling, no warring 
No telling you the peace has come. Nothing, nothing without a written or spoken word. After all said and done, some of you friends have given up a part of your dinner hour to come and listen to what? <coughs> Words. And of course we might say in some cases it might be very much like Hamlet said when he pretended to be going insane. And old Polonia said, well, what are you reading? He said, words, words, words. But after all said and done, Shakespeare knew the power of the word. And we should realise that here's a title that means something. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same, this same one was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So here again is another statement. This one was in the beginning. And Colossians says, He's the firstborn of all creation, for in him were all things created. Hebrews 1 says, Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of thy fingers. If you accept the word of God as telling you the truth, you've got to see that Christ is there in Genesis 1 verse 1. So the last word I give you this, this morning, time is beating me, is that when you look at the first verse, the word God is Elohim. Now I am on the end of a word in the Greek, uh, Hebrew is a plural, like cherub, cherubim. Now it's the ruling grammar, and it's observed in the scriptures, that if you have a singular noun, you have a singular verb. And if you have a plural noun, you have a plural verb. But it isn't so here, Moses has to break a vital rule because he can't help himself. He's dealing with something which is outside the limitations of our logic and our grammar. So the very first verse of the Bible says, in the beginning, God, in the plural, created, singular, the heavens and the earth. And you may, may remember there's another one in Ecclesiastes when it says, remember thy creators, plural, in the days of thy youth. Scattered through the Bible are enough hints to tell you it's not quite so simple as it looks on the surface. And the whole purpose of the Bible is not to teach us about creation simply, but it is to prepare us for the great redemptive purpose for which the Son of God came. And before the foundation of the world, Peter says that that Son of God was verily foreordained to be a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's anticipating redemption. And so... We get the beginning in Genesis 1 and I'm going to conclude in the last half a minute I have in reading the end so that we've got the one end and the other to sort of um, enclose our thoughts for the next few meet meetings we have on this subject. 1 Corinthians 15 Then cometh the end when he should have delivered up the kingdom to God even the Father when he should have put down all rule and all authority and power for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet but when he set all things are put under him it is manifest that he is accepted which did put all things under him and when all things shall be subdued unto him then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him to put all things under him that God may be all in all. That's the goal of the ages. That's the purpose of, for creation. That's the object of redemption. And this raises the question which we should have to meet when we come together next time. The enemy is there right to the very end to be put down and subdued. He comes in in Genesis 1 verse 2. 
There's no word enemy in Genesis 1 verse 2, but it's there. So if you care to come next time and say, well, we are, we are moving rapidly. We've done even one verse of the Bible and we're going to look at the second. Or may God grant that we may value the fact that we have a guidance in this book, that the, the words we are dealing with are words which the Holy Ghost teaches and our uh, responsibility, says the Apostle Paul, is to compare spiritual with spiritual.